Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Uh, so largely at a, at a, at a basic sense, uh, you can think about uh, financial services as split into two broad domains of what's called direct to consumer services. In other words, the um, uh, production and distribution of services to retail consumers. And the other is B2B, so the production, distribution, fulfillment of services between corporations. Hi folks, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Payal and I am a traveller who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my Melting Pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this melting pot and enjoy the chats. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm in conversation with Sam Coyote. Sam is partner at the Anthemus Group. Uh, she has a vast experience as an entrepreneur. She's worked in finance. She's helped grow a number of businesses. Um, I could just go on and on, but I think I'm going to limit my introduction because I'd rather she talk. Um, and Sam, for me, is definitely a woman of substance. So thank you so much for joining me today, Sam. Uh, thanks, Payal. It's uh, great being here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so that, uh, let's just um, maybe backtrack a bit and get a little bit about your background and also what really led you to moving um, to this part of the world, to Asia and particularly to Singapore. Um, certainly. So um, I'm originally Italian. Uh, and uh, I spent the majority of my uh, adult and professional life outside of Italy, um, about 20 odd years at the intersection of technology and finance. Uh, I would say probably the first decade in large financial institutions, uh, really helping uh, large corporations understanding digital when being digital meant by and large, um, you know, having a website and transforming your business uh, into some form of interactive uh, interface with uh, with customers. And then uh, during the global financial crisis in 2008, uh, I was uh, working at a large UK bank and uh, was very dismayed by the state of the industry. And 
somewhat shifted my perspective in finance and spent the next decade as an investor, uh, largely with uh, a little bit in private equity, but mostly with uh, uh, a venture capital firm called Anthemis Group, uh, where I spent a good part of a decade um, as, a, as a partner in the firm. Um, I uh, loved my time at Anthemis, was uh, a very pioneering experience in uh, financial technology when we started fintech wasn't even an asset class at all um, and grew to become uh, one of the most active fintech investors globally particularly focused in europe and north america it is through the incredible ecosystem that was developed at anthem is that i had the opportunity of meeting a few people uh, that uh, um, somehow and serendipitously, I would say, uh, led me to come to Singapore just prior to um, the COVID years. Uh, in fact, uh, our personal connection through Walter um, uh, is one of the key reasons as to why I came to Singapore to help him, uh, the rest of the Sing Life team and the board uh, where I shared some relevant connections because some of the shareholders at Sing Life were also um, uncle investors in one of the funds that I was running. Um, and, and so uh, that is technically how I came here into, to Singapore to help uh, Walter, the Sing Life team, um, to uh, shape uh, the business prepare it for the next sort of uh, stage of growth. As you probably know, the business um, exited in 2021 through a uh, private equity deal, uh, merged two assets, uh, Sing Life and Aviva. And subsequently to that, I rebooted part of the Sing Life team and uh, I guess re-energized with my entrepreneurial passion and pointed that towards Japan. So my latest venture is actually uh, in the Japanese market, which is why I'm currently toggling between Singapore and Tokyo. Okay, so um, are you still a part of the Anthemus group or no longer a partner there? Um, I left Anthemis in 2019 um, and so officially left the company, although, uh, as one would say, you know, you, you never really leave an ecosystem. And so yeah. if you think about Anthemis as such, uh, I still have many friends there. In fact, Anthemis is one of the investors in my current business. So somehow the relationships, the ties, the, uh, the friendships that were built there, um, are still, uh, I said, very, very alive and at the table right now. Okay. Um, before, you know, I kind of uh, um, ask you to share a little more, if you're able to, about what your, your new um, business or enterprise in Japan um, connects with. I'm sure it's something to do with the financial services as well. But um, I just, um, as a layman, uh, wanted to ask you to just elaborate a little bit on financial services as a term. I'm sure it's got several um, layers to it. Um, so if you could just break it down a little bit uh, for us so that 
you know, um, what, what really encompasses financial services? That's one. And two, what is fintech? And if you could give some um, examples of fintech. Oh, great question. Thank you. Um, the second one is, is probably a more common question. The first one, not so much. Uh, and so let me attempt to, uh, to give an explanation. So what is financial services? Financial services are um, services related to all things money. Uh, and yeah. if you think of as money in the broader sense, it's uh, uh, one of the key components of every economy, big, large, small, emerging, mature, every economy in the world um, since the dawn of time has been operating on the, on the basis of trade, on the basis of exchange and on the basis of production. And money is one of the key mechanisms, in fact, the, the, the biggest mechanism for humanity to measure uh, economic productivity and exchange and trade. And so financial services is the evolution of uh, money when it pertains to exchanges between people, exchanges between people and organizations and between organizations. Uh, so largely at a, at a, at a basic sense, uh, you can think about uh, financial services as split into two broad domains of what's called direct to consumer services. In other words, the um, uh, production and distribution of services to retail consumers. And the other is B2B. So the production, distribution, fulfillment of services between corporations. Another way of sort of thinking about financial services is the type of products that um, are related to money. So one um, normal, um, I guess, categorizations is in banking, insurance, um, asset management, uh, and payments. Those are the sort of more traditional sort of uh, categorizations of, uh, of financial services. Um, when it comes to financial technology, as the name alludes, is the application of technology to the uh, production, the packaging, the distribution of financial products. And um, like every other sector on this planet that has been uh, reshaped by the use of technology, uh, finance is no different. And uh, the application of technology has, uh, I guess, seeped through the entire financial services uh, systems, starting from payments, and then moving into uh, banking and then um, asset management and into insurance as well. Okay, interesting. Um, so, it's, it's essentially technology which is being uh, used as a tool to make, um, you know, the different financial services a lot more probably easier and uh, smoother and, you know, and, and essentially making it, uh, making life a lot less difficult for people and not having to go places physically in order to do 
their simple banking processes right. things like that and of course i'm sure there's a lot more um of technology that that's into is a lot more detailed and deeper as well um so how um you know how recent ha, ha, how recently has fintech actually um become a very primary uh part of the financial services you know it's been evolving but um how many years since it's it, it actually kind of got into the space um and you know and how far has it evolved this is a very you know probably you're smiling and thinking okay she really is a lay person when it comes to financial services and fintech <laughs> uh no i actually think that uh the vast majority of people would have very similar questions uh i mean the, the at its at its most basic sense technology has been part of um you know how we think and deal with money um uh from the outset insofar as technology, not just necessarily internet technology, but technology has always been part and parcel of sort of how humans have um, progressively become more efficient and effective in, um, in, in, in solving, for, solving for problems. So for example, uh, if you think even 20, 30 years ago, the invention of the ATM, the automatic teller machine is an example of application of technology. Uh, prior to that, you would have to go into a bank branch and then fill a piece of paper and uh, um, to, to, to ask a teller how much money you wanted to take out of your bank account. And then the teller would go with that piece of paper and would, uh, uh, after a little bit of time, surely come back with the amount of money, the $1,000 that you wanted to withdraw. Right. So the ATM sort of replaces, the name suggests, automatic teller machine, uh, that human interaction with a, a human to machine interaction where uh, the user interface allows you as the user to input the amount of money that you want to withdraw uh, from what account. And the mechanism to do that is typically a debit card. So, you know, what I'm trying to say is that there are different technologies that have been in place for okay. quite a while comes to when it comes to money i would say that the pervasive use of technology uh, in financial services has become more uh, uh, more pervasive recently i would say over the last 10 to 15 years and that is as a result of um, digital technology and particularly internet technology spreading uh, like a like a bushfire across every single sector uh, from retail to travel from uh, um, uh, 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 from how we actually purchase houses to as I said to to financial financial technology so um, as an example in more more recent years one that probably everybody would um, recognize is uh, the fact that they most people tend to sort of walk into a bank branch less and less. In fact, that um, uh, uh, as a key metric has been tracked by uh, pretty much every single little bank on this planet, um, people have changed um, behaviors. 
and needs as the technology became more pervasive. And so uh, many banks have adopted internet technology, in particular mobile technology, to replace many of the banking interactions. So you can actually now perform those interactions via mobile phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, just moving away a little bit, um, what is the, you know, women in the financial and technology industry, um, have you seen that uh, uh, shift and have you seen, I mean, you're a prime example of it, but um, outside of yourself, have you seen uh, more and more women uh, getting accepted in, um, in senior positions in the financial and, you know, the technology industries? Um. I think if the, if the question points towards gender diversity, I think the answer is yes. It changes a little bit depending on, I guess, the context. So the geography or the cultural context of the organization. Um, uh, but the answer undoubtedly is, uh, is yes. Um, if, you, if you think about the intersection of finance and tech in particular, they tend to be in their own rights industries that tend to be more male dominated yeah. the section of those two uh, when it comes to um, uh, I guess uh, you know creating spaces for for women it's even a smaller space um, but um, you know there's uh, there is there are reasons to feel positive uh, and optimistic about it um, uh, certainly you can see. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This in, um, particularly in retail financial services, uh, there's certainly uh, more women today than there, there used to be in the, in the past. But I would say uh, women in, in technology and leadership positions and even in investment roles. Um, I think it's important when we talk about diversity in particular that we I guess not do not sort of pigeonhole diversity just to gender. Yeah, it's only a very important metric. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong, and I have a vested interest in it. Yeah. Uh, not uh, certainly not the only uh, measure um, to you know determine true diversity uh, within a decision-making body. And so, 
um, you know, cognitive diversity is equally very, very important. And I think that's even a, a metric that um, uh, I, I would say fewer organizations are recognizing. It's much harder to track. It's much uh, harder to, to, to implement. Um, but I think it's, uh, it, it's an important dimension of uh, diversity overall. Okay. Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. We haven't really gone away. We're just taking a break and we'll be back with a brand new season of Melting Pot very, very soon. So stay tuned. And maybe this is a good time for you to catch up on episodes you may have missed. Available on wherever you listen to your podcasts. So what, um, a little bit about your new, you know, new venture um, that is going to, that you're launching in Japan. Um, if you can, you know, just highlight some of what you are going to be doing there, um, you know, would be interesting. Uh, certainly. So we're building... Um, a business in Japan called Habito. Habito is about changing money habits. And our mission is to change uh, how people think and deal with money for generations of Japanese. In, in Japan, like in most other uh, countries in the world, but it's particularly cute in Japan, uh, the younger generation has been um, left aside uh, particularly from large financial institutions that tend to focus uh, their efforts, their time and attention to towards the older generation, simply because that's where uh, the money sits. And that has left an entire younger generation incapable uh, of having a money strategy. And that's particularly critical in Japan, where, as you probably know, um, most people's uh, life expectancy is approaching 100 years old. So yeah. if it's one country where people are expected to live long is, is Japan. And I think Japan um, provides the world over really phenomenal insight and a window to the future for what the world will look like pretty much everywhere 50 years down the line. So I find that um, exposure to uh, a market that has uh, the, the social dynamics that are currently present in, in Japan, um, you know, by foretelling. And uh, I believe that you know, solving this problem in Japan would be a very pioneering um, solution set that can be then replicated. The yeah, market. yeah. Then it can be replicated to other countries as well. Okay, interesting. So you've already um, so so the process has already started. You've already kind of um, you know launched your company there and um, started work or it's still at a very nascent stage? Well, it's kind of both. It's very nascent because the company was launched last year in, in September and we're still not publicly available as a service. So we've been working now for a year and a bit uh, to really sort of uh, build a team build the partnerships, get the financial license that is required for us to be able to um, operate as an intermediary of financial services, um, create the, uh, the infrastructure, the technology. Uh, and so that takes time. Uh, but we are very much on our way to 
be publicly available um, in quarter one, 2023. So um, public launch uh, is coming up very, very shortly. We're very excited about it. Uh, we have completed a private beta, basically a, a test uh, with uh, real customers, with real products, with real value propositions to um, assess, I would say, validate pre-launch um, that our uh, central hypothesis about how we acquire customers, what problems we're solving first and how has, has been validated. So I'm looking forward to come back to this forum once we're public so that we, I can tell your story for real. So how our customers respond to the habit of value proposition. That would be amazing. Yeah, because, you know, it, it would also give an insight to um, all the listeners, you know, all across the world. Um, and yeah, no, that would be fascinating to hear. And I'm sure it's it's given your experience and given, um, you know, the, the, the amount of, um, um, the knowledge share and um, and and trying to bring it to a different market um, and of course you've identified the market very correctly um, but um, it, it it I'm sure will have a lot of challenges as well you yourself said getting the financial licenses through and all of that but yeah the first quarter of 2023 definitely you're going to be on this forum again um before we sign off i am very curious to know a little bit more about um i read that you published a book um years ago and if i am not wrong it's called 20000 miles with my rucksack um, what kind of prompted you to actually write that book? Um, and what is it all about? That's one. And two, are you going to write another book? And this time probably more on, you know, more, I, I'm guessing that um, the book that you wrote and published in 2011, if I'm not mistaken, is um, more about your travels, but you probably are now, um, your expertise in fintech is um, phenomenal. So you probably, I won't be surprised if you're going to write a book about that in the near future. Um, so you're, you're obviously very well researched. Uh, <laughs> well done. <Papaya. laughs> uh, so I guess sort of maybe I'll, I'll preface this by saying I, I, I think about myself as a lifelong explorer. I'm fascinated by most things in life. I have a, a wild and generally um, uh, unrestrained curiosity. And so, and this has been a personal trait, um, I guess, since I was born, one would say. So um, most of the decisions I've taken in, in life, whether they were personal or professional, were always, I guess, guided by an overriding question, which is, you know, how do I live a life that is worth of my breath? And so going to South America and the Middle East and spending a good chunk of 18 months 
uh, traveling was in fact uh, my own way of responding to that question, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So uh, I wasn't really trying to uh, discover myself. It wasn't necessarily designed to be a spiritual journey, though it ended up being both at the end of the day. Uh, but it was really um, triggered by this insatiable curiosity. At that point, I had, you know, a very, well, I, I guess most people, and certainly my parents, thought it was a, a very good job, very promising career. I was working in New York City, and, uh, you know, I had everything that a you know, nine, a 28 years old woman probably would want at that point. And so, yeah, I kind of um, uh, locked my Gucci boots uh, in, a, in a storage room and picked up my rucksack and left and to South America, to Buenos Aires specifically with a, with a one-way ticket. And, uh, and I want to say the rest of eternity to explore. And so that journey took me through in South America, which I toured without a plan, uh, generally in clockwise uh, order, um, and, uh, and then to the Middle East um, for another six months. So it was actually an extended period of time. And I can certainly say that without that personal experience, many of the things that have happened later in my life uh, would not have happened. This is partly the story of serendipity, uh, about being at the right place at the right time, not just because of mere sort of, you know, blind luck. It's, you know, serendipity is the reward uh, for taking action, as I say. And so that was uh, an important lesson. So the book uh, was a byproduct of that experience. In fact, one that ended up uh, being written uh, not because I thought of myself necessarily as a gifted writer. In fact, I can tell you I am not. Uh, it took me six years to write that book. Uh, and most chapters were rewritten, you know, north of 10 times. I was lucky enough to have a wonderful mentor, Ted Simendinger, you know, today, um, still a great friend uh, that really pushed me um, not only to, to write, but also to write it well. And um, and so it is largely thanks to him and to my partner, Patrick, uh, that, uh, you know, I got the, the support and the stamina um, and the resilience to get me through to, to, that, um, uh, to that personal journey. Um, so, yeah, thank you for bringing it up. It's, I'm always pleased and <laughs> to talk about that, uh, uh, that experience. And as, in as far as sort of writing a second book, as I, uh, you know, as, as I hinted, I don't think writing is uh, is a natural talent. I find it extraordinarily difficult. I'm a better speaker than a writer, and uh, but I really challenge myself uh, to actually get it to a conclusion. I kid you not. I I I was uh, I stopped and I threw it away and I sort of cast aside so many times, and so my biggest lesson from that was you know the patient, the 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 care. The, the nurturing spirit that it takes uh, to take a, a difficult uh, project to completion, you know, a difficult challenge to completion. Hmm. Yeah, so there's not going to be another book in short. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, so just um, and this will truly be, you know, uh, I, you know, something which I think all the listeners and viewers, especially um, young um, entrepreneurs who are at the start of their journey, um, some tips for them, um, you know, for those especially who want to get into the fintech sector. So you're asking me for tips, tips. and recommendations? Is that what you're Yeah, doing? and, and you know, um, I mean, because obviously there would be, um, when you're getting into setting up something like a startup, there's always... Um, there's always fear, anxiety, will I fail? Will it go through? You know, so some some kind of advice that you would um, have for young entrepreneurs, especially in your industry on how, you know, they should just make sure that um, they don't give up. Um. I think, you know, being an entrepreneur um, is probably a, certainly in some parts of the world, a um, over-idolized um, endeavor, uh, as if being an entrepreneur is, you know, the peak of you know, human creativity. I mean, some just to a degree it, it does, but it is also a very um, torturous uh, road, um, particularly from a personal growth perspective for the reasons that you have highlighted is because the challenges are many and most fail. And that's just the harshest reality of, of being an entrepreneur. So I guess the biggest um um, I guess, advice that I would give is that the metric of success for being an entrepreneur isn't actually making it. It's actually the journey and the learning that you go through mm. by virtue, by, for trying it. Um, most entrepreneurs need to try more than once, uh, to be perfectly honest, in order to get to the right answer. So be prepared with that, you know, um, level of resiliency and determination um, and um, and certainly don't be discouraged by failures uh, because uh, uh, life of every entrepreneur I've ever met is fraught with failures uh, and you know failures are the roads to success you never succeed until you fail that's a yeah. fact yeah that's the learning yeah absolutely yeah Thank you so much, Sam. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. I am, um, I am a little bit more knowledgeable now <laughs> when it comes to financial services, and of course, um, your experience and um, you know your your expertise, your um, your 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 drive to you know, keep 
moving ahead um, and and exploration, as you mentioned yourself, um, is something which I'm sure a lot of the listeners and viewers will appreciate and learn from. Um, and um, thank you once again. It's been a wonderful, wonderful chat. Absolutely, reciprocal. And uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, have a lovely rest of the afternoon. Thank bye, you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. bye, Sam. Bye. For more weekly conversations, do listen to Melting Pot on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Follow us on YouTube and on Instagram at Podcast Melting Pot. So until the next episode, this is Pyle signing off. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.